Good morning. Welcome to Leather and Limits, episode 22. We are on June 11th. It is the usual time. With me, as always, is the Imperatrix Knox. Hello. And today we're finally starting our drill down series because after 20 something episodes, granted, there's been some leather mixed in. If you don't have the gist of the 101, I don't know if anyone can help you. And I don't say that to be mean. <laughs> you know, we've given you the tools to get this far. If, if you can't go further on your own, here we are. But, you know, you got to actually drink the goddamn water we brought you to. So moving on. <laughs> For that, either that or we drown you in it. I mean, and some people are going to be into that, so I can work with that, too. Um, mm-hmm. Waterboarding, you know. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Uh, yep. But no, the beginning of our drill down series starts with probably the most most iconic, most classic, most recognized, the master-slave dynamic. Which, coming from leather is, you know, I know a number of people where that's like an automatic, yeah, I've played with that. <laughs> Or in my case, I didn't get a choice. Uh, <laughs> well, I literally, I started with those because that's all we had back then. So mm-hmm. it was just the way things worked. We didn't even think about yeah. it. Which is only amusing because as we'll get into the semantics, obviously, as we go about the differences between that and TPE, now that there's an actual separation, even when I had started, there was some separation already beginning on that where not every master-slave dynamic was that 24-7 live-in all the time. Mm-hmm. Which, as we've said many times before, if you have a life, that's generally unrealistic, especially in this day and age. That's true. As opposed to the, you know, when I started in 1990s, for anyone who's accidentally never heard any of these before. Um, I didn't say it. No, nah, I know you didn't. You didn't need to. I'm sure Siri is thinking it somewhere, whether I like it or not. Um, (laughs) But, you know, at that point, master-slave dynamics is all they really taught about, which is why things like the the daddy-little girl thing, which we're not talking about so much today, but it's in a similar vein. Because at that point, it was an offshoot of a master-slave dynamic. Because pretty much everything was at that point. It, It didn't really start... I won't say devolving, but delineating down far more until after the 2000s, after 50 Shades, God help us. Mm-hmm. Can't help the time point, but it still worked for the purposes of, so. Okay. Um. <laughs> um, that said, hmm. for people who have never actually gotten as far as looking up a master-slave dynamic... Or hasn't listened to our episode on that. Um, essentially, master-slave, for those that are brand spanking new and never heard the term or don't actually know what it means in full detail. Master-slave is effectively, I won't say a higher tier over dominant-submissive dynamics. As much as there are more moving parts. It's a very specific style of power exchange that generally speaks to being far more control, far more rules and structure involved. At the very basic. Mm -hmm. I would agree with all that. And it has such very near and dear to many of our hearts. Um, 
I still know people who are that's all they've ever had and all they will ever have until the day they die. And I totally get that. Um, I've come and gone through that. Like it for me, kind of the, the part about master slave specifically and why it's such an appealing power exchange. Yes. Is I would say people, people make the mistake of saying it's a, a deeper level of commitment and it's, it's not, it's not a deeper level of commitment. I would say it's definitely more formalized and more structure, especially when you're interacting with other kinky folks. Um, yes. You, just using the term master slave conjures up a whole different mentality. Um, and visualization. So when people hear someone out loud say, I identify as slave, whatever, they automatically start adding in assumptions and expectations on behavior. Yes. And somebody says that they are master so-and-so. Again, the rest of the, the kink world has a very specific view of how to interact with that person. And yes. so, and it is something that is far more unique than just dom sub, top bottom, you know, any of the other kind of demographics. It's one of the identities that is viewed as being oftentimes the most rigid, yes. um, the most layered in protocol, and sometimes almost um, medieval is the term that I've heard kicked around. But we're not, I mean, we're not here to get into the specifics of like what different master slave dynamics look like because it's going to be as varied as the people that are in them. But I mean, definitely some of the, the key things that I think we want to hit on today is what can that look like? You know, how does that play out when you're dealing in public kink, you know, community kink versus at home? You now, and what can that look like at like, just different settings um because each setting does tend to have its own kind of a protocol and just because somebody is in a master slave dynamic does not mean that they practice high protocol i know a lot of master slave dynamics that don't they're actually very very low protocol and most people get confused when they see it because they don't they actually don't know what they're doing <laughs> yeah which is kind of fun that's so true yeah so that's how I'm kind of looking at it today. Oh, no, absolutely. I. It's one of those things where, like, I have not been in one for some time just because of life reality changes. Mm -hmm. But it's not something I would be against entertaining again. Like, even Siri and I have had that conversation about if we ever reach a point where the kids are gone and all that good stuff. And reexamining where we're at with our dynamic. Because mm -hmm. it's something she would crave as well. And she's made interest mm -hmm. in that. Which, of course, makes me tickled pink. Because, of course, I want to hear that kind of <laughs> thing. But. Yeah, I don't know any master that's like, no, no, please don't become my slave. <laughs> right? Well, especially <laughs> from your long-term nesting partner of all people. Like, that's really <laughs> one of those. <laughs> Talk about going on the full end of dedication. But. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, the level of responsibility required to be a master is a little bit mm -hmm. higher end as well, because you're adding so much more structure to the way you do things. 
And so you really have to be prepared to say, this sounds great, but am I capable of doing all this extra work? I mean, granted, I don't see it as work personally, but that's because it's been my life for so long. It's second nature. But for the average Joe on the street who's maybe seening every weekend or, you know, just the top once a month or whatever their particular dynamic frequency is. It's not automatically an inherent thing. They have to reevaluate sometimes the level of energy they have for such things. And that is totally valid. Like, you shouldn't try to engage in more than you're capable of. Neither of you are going to be happy at the end of the day. Something's going to go wonky in a way that's going to make one of you get hurt, either physically or emotionally. And that's obviously not what anyone wants. That kind of defeats the point. Yeah, I think... I will say that I do believe master-slave dynamics require a heightened sense of communication compared to other dynamic types. Um, I mean, we preach about communication and kink all the time, and we talk about how just by saying you're kinky, you are naturally just saying you know how to communicate, hopefully at a higher level if you're successful. Right. But when it comes to MS specifically, I do feel that dominance do have to do more work and i say that because all of us when when we start taking control of another human being if we're doing it ethically you're you're fast forward and thinking how to make this person do what you want so you are basically manipulating them but how to do it in a way that's not damaging how to do it in a way that's not exploitative things like that and in an ms dynamic i feel like that happens that's a constant evaluation that a dominant's doing that yes. may not happen in other dynamics because we are so aware of what is being given to us. We are so aware of what a slave's dedication looks like comparative to other power exchanges that I, I think for you at your level now, especially the years that you've been doing it, it's, it is automatic. And so it's just back in your lizard brain and you just do it automatically. But I think for most folks especially when they're younger in kink, it's not automatic. It actually has to be a conscious thought process. So I would, I would say that that's probably your experience level. That's, that's making it so effortless kind of on your part. Well, exactly. It's, it's practice for so long that it becomes second nature by just rote essentially where Mm -hmm. of course I do this responsibly because I don't know how to do it any other way anymore. Right. Which no, that isn't, absolutely universal for everybody i know plenty of dominants who you know have been playing for like 40 years but Mm -hmm. because they've never really dove directly into the master slave end of the pool whether because they couldn't won't don't whatever whatever Uh, the reasons are it's not something where they've picked it up as an instinct the same way because they just don't do the same level of involvement that's Mm -hmm. where their happy place is and as we've said a thousand times your journey is your own and there's nothing wrong with that you know, that's why I'm always hesitant to describe it as above in some way a standard dominant submissive relationship. And it's hard to find terminology that works well, that doesn't immediately sound like it's somehow a level up. Because it's not, it's just different. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to make it sound that way without meaning to. That's like the moment you say slave as opposed to submissive. 
and we'll get into terminology. Well, actually, we're already on it anyway, so we can just yeah. run with it. <laughs> the term slave itself is such a hot button these days in more recent times. And I'm not saying that's a wrong thing because I understand why. Like there's cultural yeah. significance to it that is hurtful for some people for one reason or other on many different cultures. Like most people inherently think, you know, uh, African-American, but they're not the only ones. There are plenty of slave culture environments that have happened over the years where the term slave immediately makes certain people bothered. And that's perfectly valid. That doesn't change that the exchange is just the same. You're just using a different term for your comfort zones to describe the same level of commitment for lack of a better way to put it. I think I think the key here is the self-identity of the word slave. Right. The folks that have a visceral reaction to that word are not going to be the ones using it. Yeah, the folks that have the familial ties, the political ties, and they have a very strong visceral reaction to that word are not going to be the ones using it. Oh, absolutely. Not without some, something else happening, right? So I do feel that... There, there is an unfortunate backlash that's happening with that where people want to identify as a slave and are being made to feel that they're not valid Yeah. because other, other folks are trying to invalidate the word for them. And I'm not going to harp on that because I don't want to like go off topic, but I do want to acknowledge that because I, I have had some of these folks in my life that um, are not treated well by their local community because they chose to identify as a slave and it it caused a sense of like a, a lack of respect they received from their fellow community. Right. And no, absolutely. That was really unfortunate. Well, and that's, and it has not gotten better. No. Um, it, it's something I had to come across in my, as I've described the having to shove like two decades of experience in a four pound box to come online for the first <laughs> time after my divorce. Um, <laughs> When I, in the time before I had met Syria, while I was effectively just by myself doing my own thing, because I wasn't actually looking, um, I came across a young lady who was actually Native American out of the middle states. And she was actually involved in her tribe, all of that. And it was, she referred to herself, she would not say she wanted a master-slave dynamic. She'd actually go out of her way to say she wanted the equivalent of DDLG. Because for her, the recognition was similar. But she couldn't look at slave the same way, especially because in her her tribal group was large enough. It's one of those, I won't get into the details because I'm not trying to out anybody. But it's one of those that does like major powwows every year that are like almost mm-hmm. nationally recognized. Yeah. So there is a large community. So you do have other kinky folk that she was familiar with within the tribal set. And to claim yourself a slave would have been the equivalent of being ostracized, even from your own kinks, kinky folk Mm -hmm. within your culture. So it had so much resonant energy. And I totally understood. So one of the first things I had asked her about was that kind of thing was like, is this something that bothers you personally? And how do we go about talking about it? Mm -hmm. Because you had to, like, that's only fair and and ethical as far as I'm concerned. I mean, at this point, I would even do so with anyone of any culture on principle. Well, because you have to acknowledge it. It's it's right. like, you know, and, and I will say, especially as a white person engaging with 
know, other groups. Right. To not do so is so insensitive. Like I, I need to know like, like how to meet you to, if I, if I'm going to be taking control of you in a negotiated fashion, I need to make sure that I'm doing so responsibly. I'm doing it ethically, but I'm also coming from a position of respect where I'm viewing you as an equal human being to myself. And I need to empower you to advocate for what you actually need so that as we negotiate a power exchange, it's not biased already. And, and I mean, there's a lot of folks that argue that inherently it is already biased because of the racial component, but at least giving someone the, the ability to find the words that they need, you know, master slave dynamic is very specific, right? It's, it's, there's a reason why those two terms are used. Um, and it's not the same as any other names that you want to use. You know, each, I, I hate using the drop down on FetLife because it's, <laughs> and though we've expanded it to like 30 different words, there's still not enough, I ironically. Say, I actually appreciate that they've at least tried. I mean, it's, yeah. it's still the Fets. They're, you know, derpy on the best of days. And that's Correct. being polite, as we all know. Anybody mm -hmm. who uses it knows. We don't even need to be mean about it. But no, the fact it's that not they at least mean. made an effort is something. Mm -hmm. Doesn't necessarily solve everything, but at least they're trying, which is more than I could have expected. But I think that's the key is for, for folks that are interested in the power exchange of this magnitude. And they have a visceral reaction to the term master-slave. It's okay to choose other words right? to convey, because the reality is the only person you have to convey anything to is the person you're in a dynamic with. Mm -hmm. It's when you start interacting with kink as a whole, as a community, people are going to see the different words that you've chosen. And if they're intelligent, we'll ask you, what does that mean to you? Right. You know, like I use myself as an example. When I chose to start using the honorific imperatrix. There were a lot of folks that were like, what the fuck is an imperatrix? Right. Oh, that's valid. Do your research. You know, I'm willing to have that conversation. Imperatrix is, is a very specific yeah. function. But, you know, I, I have found time and time again, most people will go, oh, that's an unusual word. I've not heard that before. Can you tell me what that means for you? And then they realize, oh, you know, okay, so you're still a female dominant. You know, you're not necessarily a female supremacist. So, okay, cool. Like, I know how to interact with you now. And they have that frame of reference. And you'll see that thought process happen in, in less than a minute, usually. So it's not like people are getting hung up on, on these terms to that degree. It's about how you are within your dynamic and what terms you use to describe yourself. You know, and just because you start a dynamic using master-slave doesn't mean that your dynamic's going to culminate with that. It might change again, but yeah. it doesn't change the the dedication and the thought process and all of the, the groundwork that goes into having a successful MS dynamic arrangement. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, X brings up a good example in the chat where he uses the example of himself and, and Tiny, where, you know... It was about being able to have more control over things in a constructive way. And I don't disagree with that sentiment. Like, if you and you, because obviously it still has to be consensual in the first place. So it's not like you're forcing an opinion on someone. 
but I've had that conversation with a partner in the past where we don't, we are both strong-willed people, which I'm sure some people in here can understand completely how that works. <laughs> strong-willed in their everyday life, and it's one of the things you like about each other. But having that constructive adult conversation about, but I really need help with, or I could see things I could help you with if you let me, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. getting into the negotiation end of things. If you're both adults and ethical about it, you're going to go deep dive into what really works for you. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you know deep down what your core truths are, what your real needs, wants, etc. Like, I really need to stop doing X, but I have a hard time doing it for myself. Mm -hmm. Or I see this particular thing and I know I could help you with it. And this is how, if you're okay with that, etc. It all comes down to how much you need that structure. And that's, <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it other than for me, that's just very normal for me, that concept. And so because of the way I was raised in leather back in that period, where effectively you did graduate from, from a dom-sub dynamic to a collared slave, because that was the whole point of collaring back then. Is it mm -hmm. was it wasn't so much a level up as it was a commitment difference. Yes. A call you know, when I started, a slave collar was the equivalent of a marriage ring. It was the engagement ring. You may or may not get married at that point, but physically you've chosen that level of dedication with one another. Was the significance. Even if it didn't have the same level of structure of, say, another master-slave dynamic next to you. Because they're not supposed to be identical. Mm -hmm. Even then. Because that moves to the next part of that, trying to move away from labels before we hear all day about it. Because I know we can, and with good reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I have a feeling we're going to end up doing a labels revisited episode at some point in the near future. Just because of how long it's been since the last one and how things have updated. But that's Probably. for another day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is another part of that whole experience with a master-slave exchange is the structure level. And the mm -hmm. fact that that doesn't mean it's inherently identical from person to person even then. The main identifier is that your commitment level or rather structure level is much higher, but not how mm -hmm. that looks. And that's yeah. an important thing to distinguish. Because every master-slave contract is very different. And not all of them use contracts. That's true. I'm still old school enough that I believe in them. Um, you know, I went out of my way to create an entire Discord server for Siri and I just to write it all down because we were still online at the time. Mm -hmm. So that we had time to discuss, consent, pass along while we were working opposite schedules because we weren't in the same time zone even yet. Because that was important. You know, these days, not everybody feels the need for it. It depends largely on whether or not you're both capable of just rolling with the rules that exist without needing it written somewhere. Um, not a personal preference, but I know there's people out there that respect or prefer that. Yeah. I would say that's true. I, I mean, I know for me, 
times that I've been in MS arrangements, um, having all of that delineated is helpful because I use it as a reference, especially when I start feeling like I'm getting off track or if I'm not upholding my side of things, right? Um, I think that's, that's huge. And I, some of us have contract fetishes. I might be one of them. And it's nice. I totally understand. <laughs> I do. I could write a 40 page contract and be very content, but I'm not going to do that to another person. Um, <laughs> I feel that more than I wish I did. So I'm, not set, yeah, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to set somebody else up for failure, but the, but the reality is when I, when I was on the other side of the dynamics, it was nice to be able to have something that I could go back and refer to that wasn't me searching through hours and hours of emails or direct messages or text messages. Go back and say, you know, at the end of the week, did I honor and uphold a, we'll say 10 tenants that we both agreed were going to be our focus? You know, and being able to do that without necessarily going to the to the master and saying, do you feel that I've done this? Like, like I'm not asking for a progress report. I'm trying to make sure I'm being authentic to myself and I'm being authentic in the dynamic. Right. And am I still doing it for the reasons that I found fulfilling in the beginning when we set this up? And that was helpful to me as, as a slave. Um, and it was something I carried over into my practices when I became a submissive. You know, I may not have had the same rigidity with the rules and accountability, but it was still nice to be able to go back and look at that. and be able to to say that to myself and know as I've honored these 10 things that we agreed on that we were both going to be particular about here's how I did it and have a sense of accomplishment and pride knowing yes I'm still honoring our dynamic and then later you know as a person that started taking control of others I still do the same thing am I still guiding this person to where they're fulfilling these 10 tenets that we agreed on or have I allowed this person's behavior to stray so far that we're now no longer even paying attention to these agreements? Yes. You know, that because it, it's just as necessary for me. It is. Now, did, yeah, did the pledge that we made to each other when you accepted my caller, because you did have to accept it, let's be honest, you know, the Domly Doms are like, that's right, take my caller. But the reality is they had to accept it. Mm-hmm. And... Well, that's why the original premise was you were approached with a collar to be collared. Like you proposed to your dominant, not the other way around. And it wasn't that the dominant was like this king high mighty. It was the showing of the difference in level of commitment that you think you're ready for. And allowing the dominant to decide whether or not they're also ready for it. Right. Yeah, and that was the key is the dominant would then approach you saying, I see that you're ready. I'm ready. Now let's formalize this. Exactly. It was never meant to be a, I'm approaching you because I want to give you my collar because I see, I mean, reality, right? <laughs> Real talk. Um, the reality is there's a lot of dominance that approach it that way. Their first thought is I want, they, they have a drive. I have to collar a slave, validate myself as a master. Yes. <laughs> and it's that mentality I will say I'm going to pick on the men for a hot sec because I see it more with men than I do with women. Um, 
<laughs> well, because it's it it's very much a thing, and it's not even going to a harem. It's not even speaking to to that kind of modality. It's the need to show and collect things to somehow show to others that you have power. Right. Yeah. And and it is an intrinsically male characteristic. Women it approach it very differently with power. And so you don't tend to see ethical and legitimate dominants who are women approach slaves with a collar to say, here, I'm going to collar you, and now we're going to start an agreement. Now we're going to get into a negotiation, but I have to collar you first so that we can do these things. You don't see women do that. You see men do that. Yeah. There's, I see that very often, especially online, right? I need, I need to piss on your leg to show all the other dominants that you belong to me. And then they get into the negotiation. Then they get into the contract and things like that. And that's when a lot of the slaves find out, shit, I don't want any of this. That's, yep. no, this is not the direction I wanted to go. No, wait a minute. Shit, I'm wearing your collar. So now I feel like I'm trapped. Yep. And I will say in the femdom space, it, while it may happen, it may look the same on the outside. Um, what's happening is, I would say, radically different. Um, first, women are catty as shit. In the femdom space, it absolutely is a form of peeing on your leg to mark territory. But I have noticed that when, when women approach men and say, I want to color you, there is an automatic expectation that this is a longevity plan. Whereas I find in the male dominant space, the longevity is not always factoring into the equation. Nope. But, no. And I am generalizing, completely no, owning absolutely. this. That is a massive generalization that I've seen, you know, over the 20 plus years that I've interacted well, with all sorts of dominance. But spot on. And we can, yeah. we can be honest about that because, you know, I, yeah. I don't ascribe to that as a male of the species, but I've seen it often enough that I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't exist and I haven't seen it. It sure yeah. as hell does. And I understood exactly why they did that because I had those fr kind of friends. Everybody has, <laughs> where it's yeah. you know it's their need to be the master of all they survey, whether healthy mm -hmm. or not. And there's healthy versions of that, but it's all about how you present and approach each other and how adult you are about it. Yeah. And unfortunately, men have a harder time stepping up to that plate at a reasonable age. And it's, I won't get into that semantic at all, because that's another whole book. But there's a reason that you're finding that the majority of younger women are approaching older men now, more often. Not that it didn't happen before, but that percentage is going up. And a large part of that, of them going up, is literally because of that. It's because they don't want the younger guy who's so busy peeing on everything he sees that they're not actually ready for anything serious. And that's obviously also not a more than a generalization. There are plenty of older males that are absolutely toxic little shits. We're, we're not going to pretend like they don't exist and everybody older is great. That's not how it works. Yeah. It's just that the percentage margin is much larger. Like five yes. out of ten decent men instead of like two. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's just the truth. Yeah. And part of that is because... And obviously it's not all men that, you know, like anything else, not all of anything. Right. But the reality is you're still talking about 
you know, a dynamic style that very specifically its roots are literally directly plugged into leather. Because mm-hmm. that's where it came from. Gay leather, which is still yeah, a very specifically. different thing because it's two different men without that same level of that. Mm-hmm. And not because those don't exist in gay leather also, because they do. But that's when you get into other styles like pups and daddies and there's other things for a reason. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have the same issues with who's peeing on whose leg to make it a master-slave mm-hmm. situation. Because there were so many rules in place in the first place about all of that. Never mind the cultural traditions of you know surviving that era. <laughs> That's a big one, too. It is. And it plays a, a huge basic part survival. so much of it. Mm-hmm. Like people think of the hanky code now, and I know more people who don't understand why it exists entirely, but they think it's pretty and I love having my colored coded. And don't get me wrong, I totally appreciate it. I will always appreciate mm-hmm. it. I grew up with it as a word. But it started from a survival mechanism. And a lot of people don't realize yeah. that if they don't know their history in leather. Because it was literally a way to communicate when you didn't want to talk across the room for fear of someone hearing you, understanding what it meant, and you finding six guys behind the bar after you're done. Because that Mm -hmm. shit happened at that time frame. And we're not going to get much deeper into that. We, Anyone who's adult enough to be listening to this conversation should know how to do their homework or know it already. As far as the reality of history in America for homo, etc., you know, where it was very much fatal to live in America in those days. And that mm-hmm. will skip over the rest of that narrative. People can do their homework. Mm-hmm. We could do that four episodes long and still not cover everything. Well, the reality is it's Pride Month. People should be researching that anyway. You got it. you damn right they should. <laughs> like, sorry, but and, I don't, and that's the thing where I don't care if you're heteronormative. You are more than welcome mm-hmm. to be that. That is a legitimate choice, literally like any other. But you mm-hmm. still, should, still should understand what you're dealing with and the roots Correct. of things. That's all. Correct. No more than that. Just being educated about it. Mm-hmm. It's no different than when people use slave instead of submissive and immediately think one means there's more than another. It's the same principle oh, yeah. in action. Mm-hmm. Of... It's not like that, but you really should understand enough of it to recognize why that's not how it should be. Exactly. If nothing else, because it does allow you to dodge the pitfalls of the toxic masculine part of that equation out in the Mm -hmm. wild. Because whether we like it or not, it exists. And there's plenty of it. You know, there's a reason submissives graft to each other in live venues and immediately start networking. It's for safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of it's safety. I would love to sit here and talk about events like they're always the greatest thing since sliced bread, but the reality is there is a whole toxic layer to BDSM, like anything else in any culture. Like, it's not a unique thing. But because of the nature of what we do, why we do it, and what's involved, we attract a certain caliber of people who will use it as an excuse for more nefarious, unhealthy things. And mm-hmm. that's just reality. You do your always. best to filter it, but they're always going to happen. Abusers, rapists, etc. Both sides of the gender coin there. That's not even a heteronormative only thing. 
but it exists mm-hmm. and it exists for a reason. And that's about human psychology at that point, unfortunately. No, it is. But, but I mean, but you have to, you have to say that because the reality is exactly. there's a lot of folks that aren't aware that that happens. Precisely. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's to touch on the whole, you know, with back on contracts for just a moment, because for pretty much every contract in my history, and I, I hesitate to use anything as a concretifier for the identity of master slaves, but mm-hmm. I personally think very highly of always using the same two rules I've always implemented in every contract. The very first of which is that if your slave is property of the master, the property must be concerned with taking care of itself and its well-being and happiness, even above and beyond the dictates of the master. Mm -hmm. And the second part of that, and they roll together, is you both need to be happy. Because otherwise, why the hell are you doing it? You know, and it, I hate using the submissive should be happy part of it because if people immediately latch on to that's because the submissive has power and that's not what it's about. It's that the slave should be happy with this dynamic for all the service they're providing. They should be happy to do so. It should be something they're glad for or want, desire, etc. It's not just because the Dom wants it or enjoys it. I mean, yes, those are the perks, so to speak. But they should only be perks if the other person actually wants to do it. Or it starts falling flat very quickly. And it just starts feeling hollow. I think that's the thing is people, you you start. Yeah, and you forget, why did I start down this path to begin with? You get lost in it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's exactly the problem. It's once you get to that point of hollowness, it's really hard to wind back. Because if you're just going through the motions, why are you doing it? At some point, it's going to bomb. Because now mm-hmm. you're effectively lying to each other. Or if people don't like that particular view of it, concealing the truth of communication from each other, which goes back to ethical communication in the first place. That should immediately be something that gets brought up, not I'm just going to go through the motions until I'm fed up, because that doesn't help either of you. And worse, are you going to do that for however many years to the future? Mm-hmm. You're going to slave yourself to something you're not even happy about doing for how long? Mm-hmm. That doesn't serve either of you. Literally. No. No, and that's and that's what I mean is that is the point to me that it becomes hollow. And that to me is the point where you, you have to realize I might not have negotiated in, I won't say in bad faith, but in honest faith. Yes. And I think that's, and people get hung up on that because intention does matter. And oh, I think absolutely. intention matters. And in the framework of MS specifically, the intention matters as much as what actually occurs, but but yes. in a very, very, I would say more critical way. You know? And and you know, again, it's hard to talk about this stuff without trying to make it sound like something is better or 
worse than something else, right? Right. And a lot of people, when they talk about MS, automatically have it in the framework of comparing it to DS and having it be better or worse than DS dynamic. And, and that just doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. And it's, I even find myself having problems sometimes with that language context of like, no, MS is, is more dedicated. Well, that's not true. DS is still dedicated. <laughs> you know, slaves aren't somehow more than a submissive, exactly. but in ways... But in ways they, they are. Right. You know, you've negotiated away so much of, I will say, your autonomy. Yeah, that's the word I was thinking that, of too, actually. Yeah. yeah. You're negotiating away more of your autonomy in a way that places the trust of your well-being into the master in a way that is far different than you would dominant. You know, do slaves still have autonomy over their daily life? Yeah, Absolutely. Do slaves still make their own decisions and go to work every day and be productive and, and have to think on the fly and not necessarily run to master for decisions? Yeah. You know, not all slaves are simps. Right. But at the same token, I would say that there are more guardrails. There's more boundaries as to what that slave is allowed to do versus a submissive. Well, and that's... I would hazard to say, and, and I want to say this real quick because of uh, one of the comments in the chat there are a lot of folks who set up their DS in a way that is actually MS and they don't want to call it that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Whether it's, you know, and a lot of it is that aversion to the word slave. A lot of, you know, folks that are leather have a hard time using the term master because if they don't have a cover, they feel like they're not actually a master. Yes. I'm not going to say that that's invalid. Um, it may not be correct, but it's not invalid. No, because um, at that point, it's about perspective. And if you personally don't mm -hmm. see it that way, you're entitled to that. Absolutely. And and so that's, and that's, I appreciate that um, in the chat, um, somebody did, did actually make that comment that, you know, their, their past relationship, while it had been negotiated to be a DS, actually was framed more like an MS and played out more like an MS arrangement. And that happens. And I think that's actually common. Oh, it is. Because a yeah. lot of people don't understand that there is a distinct difference between the two, only because their their exposure up to that point, and this goes back to everything we've said about people first walking into kink, and what their source is, so to speak, whether it's books, mm -hmm. whether it's the the surface feeders, as it were, like the auction groups, whether it's porn, it matters. It really does matter because your perception of what you're coming into changes. And I've mm -hmm. met a lot of doms whose idea of dominance and submissives were immediately like master-slave because that's their only understanding of the two until mm -hmm. they got more education under their wing. And that absolutely matters, which goes back to how education is important, of course. Mm -hmm. But it's such a common misconception. And I, I've always tried to describe it as it's not that a slave is better than a submissive. It's that effectively a slave has chosen to crave less autonomy. It's something they desire and have the mm -hmm. ability to give. That's the difference. That is the real distinction right there is that they have a desire for less autonomy and actively are seeking it out, whether it's because they can, whether it's what they want regardless. Whereas 
as opposed to a submissive has a bit more free reign in their structure, let's say, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is kind of the point. Because again, kids, lives, realities, and Miss Rue brings up a good point or use the phrase in a TPE dynamic because TPE mm-hmm. is not inherently master slave either. Correct. Any, any dynamic can be total power exchange. It's all about perspective, like anything else. The journey's your own if it's ethical and consensual. And I know plenty of people who've used some really outrageous terms over the years because that's how they see their thing. Mm -hmm. And they're happy with it. It's consensual. It's not a problem in the community. What's wrong with that? Well, because you should be approaching everything from a position of respect, even in the beginning. Like... Like, you have to negotiate disrespect, in my opinion, you know, and it goes beyond just the the head games involved with humiliation and degradation. The reality is, if you if you want me to treat you in a dynamic like I'm somehow superior to you, not just in charge of you, but superior, you have to negotiate that. Absolutely. You don't like I don't I don't come and that's and that's why I'm always real keen to say that I don't practice female supremacy because I don't necessarily do I think women should rule the world? Yes, I do. <laughs> do I feel that women are better equipped to handle all of life compared to most men? Fucking 100%. Yes. I am 1000% biased and own that. But I do not practice gynarchy. And and I say gynarchy for a reason. It's not a common term that a lot of people hear and, you know, very good friend and I were just talking about this because she's been in the lifestyle as long as I have, and she had never heard the term gynarchy. And and gynarchy literally is um, the exact opposite of patriarchy. Right. So, and and so this is why I say if you want me to behave towards you in a manner that would be perceived as disrespectful, you have got to negotiate that. I'm I'm not coming into because I I'm negotiating a dynamic with you because I want to keep it. Yes. And so I feel like if I allow you to be disrespected by me, eventually people get tired of that behavior. <laughs> you know, they're not going to want to stay around for a year long contract. They're not going to wear your collar with pride because they're not going to feel proud of themselves. Well, that's now, exactly, that that kind yeah. of degradation is scene based, not dynamic-based. Well, that's something I've always had. The There is that flip side as, you know, the, the top half of the equation, you know, like we both are sitting here. You know, it's, yes, the slave is giving something up, but in many ways, so is the dominant side. Because they're actively taking that control from you in whatever structure type that is, and being able to say, I can be an adult and responsible about this for our betterment. And depending on the structure you're using, that can be really Mm in-depth. And it means you both have to be able to be that much more adult about talking about it when shit gets ugly or just doesn't feel right. You have to. Because the moment a rule doesn't feel like it's enforced the right way, you're both going to feel it. And going back to the degradation side of it, my favorite thing to ask when I hear people tell me, yeah, I want you to treat me like whatever, or I need you to do X, Y, Z to me. 
there's the flip side conversation I always have about, are you absolutely sure this is how you want this? Because this is where my mindset is. And if you mm-hmm. give me free reign with this particular thing, this is how it has to work. Mm-hmm. Because this is what you want from me. I'm describing it to you how it will run so that if you have a problem with it, you can bring it up and we can talk it out or decide it's not something we want. Right. So that it's not happening in the middle of the relationship and sour. Exactly. And not because those negotiations can't happen then. That you should always be willing and able to negotiate or at least, you know, have a quarterly half. I know people who did annual meetings, so to speak, with each other about their dynamics. Mm-hmm. Where all power was aside and they just talked to each other as two people to reevaluate where they're at and if anything needed tweaking. Because that's the way they liked even that setup. I know people who do it quarterly. Mm-hmm. Literally a three-month sit-in of, mm-hmm. okay, as two people, where are we at? And if that works for them, hell yeah, go for it. It's healthy. Mm-hmm. Check-ins are necessary. I mean, I, oh, fuck yes. the, way I've always, the way I've always structured my relationships and my dynamics have been that check-ins can happen at any time either party feels the need to address something. Um. But I would say that the critical one happens before a re-upping of a contract. That, that to me would be like at any time during the relationship, because you have to acknowledge, even with a check-in, your slave is coming to you saying, hey, there's a problem or, hey, I'm struggling with this one rule or, hey, this hasn't played out in my mind the way that I thought we were going to do. And this may be one of those times that we need to maybe purge this from our or contract and you have to acknowledge the fact that them even initiating that conversation takes balls like and you are not at equal footing when that conversation starts because not just the emotional factor but the fact that they are approaching you as their owner right mm-hmm. whereas i feel like contracts getting ready to expire you know, you're having to decide, do you want to re-up your contract? To me, that is more equal footing because yes. that's when you, you're looking at the entire thing as a whole and going, does this, meaning all of you, work for me? And it's and it's a different conversation. And it oh, needs yeah. to be a different conversation. Um, like one of the things, like we joke about it in our household, um, but one of the things that we do is um, Viking and I never initiate that conversation. when When it's time for the contract to be renewed it is up to vixen to approach us to say that she wants to renew it no absolutely it's not on our calendar it's not like i purposely it's like nope that is a date that you have to remember that is a date that you have to yes exactly because i'm clearly fucking happy right like it's not it's not for me (laughs) you know if i want to end a contract it's because you know the relationship's ending usually it's not it's not because you know anything else and so The ball then is in the submissive's court. And I make it very clear, this does not auto-renew. You have to come to us to say, I want this. Right, exactly. And at that point, we have the ability to sit down and say, what does this look like? Does this look the same? Does this need to change? Do we need to add more guardrails? Do we need to take some guardrails away? Like that's, that is what that check-in is for. It's very different than what I would call a regular relationship check-in. No, absolutely. And yes, I will 100% say 
comment in the chat. I will 100% say that is something that all submissive types need to push for in their relationships. And yes. if it is your first contract, if it is your first dabbling into the MS realm, I would hazard to say you should do it monthly. Yeah. Because you, you you're so unsure. And your your master is not sure because you're still learning each other. So that should be a little more fluid. And then as the both of you get more comfortable, as the both of you get a better understanding of how things are actually operating and playing out versus the fantasy of how you thought it was going to play out, you don't need to do check-ins necessarily as often because you should be able to have a trust factor enough that you can have those running conversations. I was and it's not a challenge to your authority. No, absolutely. I was only going to say, like, if anything, that's like, I actually had a, a slave at one point who came up after a year because I would brought up the contract. They were like, it's been a year. Because they weren't focused on the end of the contract. They were so good with where they were. It didn't even occur to them that that would matter. And that's absolutely, yeah, absolutely. valid, too. Like, but that's the whole thing is it's. If I had a problem as the master, I would have been very clear with it long before that. But I would also vocalize that I am content with where things are so mm -hmm. that my slave would be able to take that under consideration of where they feel they want to be. And on the side of the new thing, I would even double emphasize the fact that especially if you are a couple coming into kink and trying on a dynamic for size. And you've already been together, whether it's a year, 10 years, whatever it is, married. I would stress that's even more important to do monthly check-ins and whatnot, because your relationship already exists. Mm. Something going sideways in a power exchange side of that will destroy your relationship if you're not careful. If you're not already right. trying to be ethical and communicating that way. Mm -hmm. So a monthly check-in is vital. While you're still getting yeah. your, and that's not to, to crap on, you know, especially in the case of monogamous relationships in that regard, I'm not crapping on them in any capacity, but they are less prone to already possess the skill set for that because they haven't needed it beyond that for now, more often mm -hmm. than not, because that's just I not think. how it happens in vanilla land. It's just not the norm. And that's not because no. they're less, it's just there's less need for it because the level of trust involved is different. Because you're not doing the things that we do, it doesn't come up the same way. Not that it can't oh, come up, yeah. but it's just less likely. Mm. No, I, would, to, I would agree with that. And again, it's not that that happens all over the place. But for couples coming in, especially the couples had like 20 years under their belt, who've been at it a long time and have a lot to lose, say, let's say it that way, a monthly check-in would be absolutely needed. Because you want to make sure while you're building the tools for this new view of your relationship, or relationships at that point even, mm -hmm. It's even more imperative to make sure that while you're building that toolbox, you're absolutely good with each other. Because it's so easy to slip and fall. Even those that are well-equipped to come into it or have had a year of E&M under their belt or whatever and have developed some of those skills mm -hmm. have trouble. So if that's not already part of your skill set, you really need to be safe. 
Well, and I will say it's not a part of most people's skill set because most people's frame of reference when they get into kink is their vanilla relationships and their societal conditionings, right? And when you start playing with other folks, you're playing. It's not, it's, it's a relationship of sorts. We can argue that like that, that is a relationship of sorts and I'll, I'll give credit to that. Absolutely. But it's not, it's not the same as negotiating a dynamic. And so no. there are a lot of folks that you don't, not only do they not know how to negotiate a dynamic to begin with, but they default back to their vanilla roots because that's their frame of reference. That's their comfort yeah. zone. And so when you, because I've seen it happen and I was guilty of it myself. When you come into kink, you get enamored and you get caught up and you're doing all your sexy frenzy stuff and you're trying all the shiny things and you decide, yeah, fuck it. I want a contract. I'm going to do this shit. The problem then becomes you're still thinking in a vanilla framework of what a relationship is supposed to look like. You have that stereotypic view that, you know, and not even talk about DDLG, but like you have a stereotypical view that your dominant, your owner, your master is taking care of you. They're looking out for you. They love you. They want to invest in you and spend time with you. And you are a partner, right? And you have all these vanilla frameworks in your mind of what a loving relationship is supposed to look like that just also happens to be kinky. And... Somewhere along the way, all of us have the, the light bulb moment where it clicks on and you realize this is not vanilla. This is not a standard relationship. This is not at all or anything similar to what I've grown up revering as a loving partnership is supposed to look like. And you start realizing that a kink dynamic and a kink power exchange is a radically different method of communication. And you start realizing it's a radically different way of interacting with each other. And even when you come from the poly space and you're used to ethical non-monogamy, um, even that still has a lot of your vanilla stereotypical frameworks. Absolutely. You're just adding another person, right? It's because the reality is, you know, Pride Month, I'm going to say it, being gay or lesbian is no longer the woo, like, oh, it's a gay relationship. Like now it's like, okay, so you're gay. So you just added another layer of, of shit you can't do in society. Okay, yes. copy that. It's not looked at the same. And so you still are framing your relationships in a vanilla context based on societal conditioning. When you get into master-slave dynamics, throwing all that shit out the window. You have literally said, I reject all of your bullshit, <laughs> I'm rejecting all of your patriarchy, I'm rejecting all of these frameworks of what I'm believing in a heteronormative context is supposed to look like, or what I'm believing in, in a gay and lesbian context is supposed to look like, and I'm framing it in what my fantasy says it should look like. Right. I mean, you should though, right? It's different. I mean, yeah, no, no, I, yep, absolutely. But I think the problem is people forget that. They're forgetting we jump over that step. And so people jump into these frameworks and they start getting into writing contracts and, and doing these, these deep level MS explorations, but still trying to force it into the vanilla relationship box. 
Yes. So what you end up seeing is a bunch of contracts. Read 1950s. Even though they're like, oh, no, I'm not into a 1950s household. Well, yeah, surprise you are because you are. Well, it's you made one. It's the joke about BDSM relationships specifically, not even just kinky relationships, but especially in the BDSM corner of things where, Mm -hmm. you know, we date in reverse, you know, because by nature of being kinky, if you approach each other as a kinkster, there's an inherent sexuality to your conversation right away because that's kind of the point. Part of the point, not the only one, obviously. But it's part of the nature of you've approached each other because you find each other sexually attractive. You have, or, you know, that's a step anyway for many people. Obviously, there's non-sexual aspects of that as well, but it's similar. But still, I want to touch your junk. Right. It's still an inherently sexual thing. We're talking about kink. It's sexually charged in some way. So when you approach the other person... You're already saying, I find you attractive to myself sexually in some way, or romantically, or both, or whatever. So that part is already covered. It's not something you have to wade through, because the nature of BDSM communication, when it's all ethical and well-tooled, you recognize that part of things. It's like, okay, we already know that part, so let's skip over the, does they like me, do they not like me bullshit. (laughs) And get to the part of being adults about how this should look effectively. Yeah. I know I'm really dumbing it down, but. No, but it's, I think in the space that we're in right now, it's safe to do that. Well, exactly. I mean, all of us have a framework right now. Well, precisely. And that's exactly it, is we have that tool set. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. as a result, we come back to that and you have all that framework already set up. And then you first try to actually find out about each other. Yeah. It's like, okay, you've already sex, made this. The sexual mm-hmm. side of things was successful. So who are you? Um, whereas in Vanilla Land, it's often the other way around, relatively speaking, where you go through the waiting of who are you as a person before I get to the state of I want to touch your junk. Mm-hmm. Or there's the plenty of the fuck boys out there where they just want to touch everyone's junk and not give a damn about any of the other steps. But you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> I can't help those people. We don't talk about them. Uh, we all know they exist. Moving on. Um, <laughs> even in the kink world. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. But that's the whole thing is the nature of it being sexually charged is when you approach each other about something as structured as a master slave dynamic, where mm-hmm. there's much more involved for both sides. It should feed some part of your fantasy desires. Because that's kind of the point. Not that it's a fantasy all the time, but it is the nature of kink to be a sexually fantasy-involved thing. So if that's part of your pursuits that make your junk tingle, keeping with the (laughs) lingo on that one, why not? I was trying to keep it simple, yeah. Yeah. You know, if it makes your junk tingle... You should be going in pursuit of that for both of you for mutual benefit. It mm-hmm. makes sense to because that's what you're playing with in the first place. Yeah. So why would you not talk about being in pursuit of that on both sides? Because you're both going to get more out of it by being honest about it. Wherever mm-hmm. that may go. You know, all the all the insanity and taboo that goes into deciding kinks and how they match up obviously is another whole story. But they should be part of that framework. And I'm not saying you have to have a rule for every kink you plan to participate in. 
but there should be some ground rules understanding of this is where I feel like it should be for me. Where does that match up, match up with how you want it to look like for you? Mm-hmm. Because it should be both. Ideally. Right. And obviously nothing's perfect, but that's why you check in as well. You alter things as needed for your mutual benefit if you have a desire to continue pursuing it. And it is worth mentioning, you know, even in a master-slave dynamic, that's the whole point of contract work. But even if you're not mm-hmm. operating under a contract and you're one of those people that doesn't, you need to always have that open-ended part of the situation where one of you can come to the other and say, I don't think this is working anymore. We've tried X, Y, Z, and for whatever reason, we're not connecting on it. Let's talk about where we go next so we don't hurt each other. And obviously that's a way harder conversation to have. But I'm a firm believer that it's essential if you reach that point. I think it's harder to have because I I will say when you start talking about folks that are engaging in MS to that degree. Yes. (laughs) They have typically entered in a TPE. And more often or not, if they're not actually living together, they're living in proximity enough to each other that there's constant daily contact. And to me, I think that is why the check-ins typically stop. Because just like vanilla dating, right? Until your partner comes to you and says, hey, listen, I have a problem. Both sides are like, yeah, shit's cool. You know, even when shit's not cool. Like, we're, we're really good about putting our head in the sand. And I think, for whatever reason, kink, people in kink start thinking like, oh, no, that doesn't happen to us because we're kinky. We're better communicators. Hate to break it to you. We like to say we are. The reality is we're still people. Yeah. Um, we're still shit. We're garbage communicators. And I say that because we'll, we'll end up being great at communicating about kinks and fetishes, play sessions, scenes, you know, that kind of stuff. But we'll be garbage about the interpersonal part of it, which is why right. we keep harping on communication. Um, and so what, what I have seen and what I've experienced myself, I'm just as guilty of this, is that you get comfortable. You get comfortable with how day-to-day life is. You get comfortable with yeah. how you expect things to go. And Status so, quo. It it is status quo, and it is, you know, it's lazy doming. Let's be honest. Yes, yes, it is. It is, but you get bogged down into the the daily grind of things because certain things have to have your attention. You know, going to work, getting groceries. Right. There, there are certain mundane things that are not part of the dynamic because it's your your average daily living, and those end up taking priority, and so. What ends up happening is a lot of folks settle into their dynamics and just start, in a sense, the other partner will say, I'm being taken for granted. And what they're hearing is, I'm no longer feeling prioritized. Because in the beginning, when you start your dynamics, in the beginning, when you take control of another human being, you're on them. You're on top of them. You're being critical. You're, you're positioning. You're maneuvering. You're very hands-on because you're trying to set the foundation. Four and a half, two years in. That starts to go by the wayside because you're both on autopilot. You should know what I need from you now. You know what I'm going to ask you now. Certain things become things that you no longer have to discuss. You just know. And that level of comfort starts breeding in complacency. Yes. 
And that's why the check-ins become, in my opinion, more mandatory. But it's why, despite the fact that they're more mandatory, we stop doing them. Well, and- Because we start thinking, but I know what's going on. And so until your partner looks at you and says, hey, listen, I'm having problems. We're both bumping along thinking things are great, unless you're the one feeling like there's a problem. And you don't address it. And dominants are just as bad at this as submissives. Oh, God, like yes. it's not it's not something that's unique to, to the S type realm. Not even close. Yeah, there's there's I have watched it's kind of funny, but I've watched a lot of, of masters since we're talking about that specifically, that refuse to confront a slave to say, I don't like this. Yeah. I don't like what you're doing. They refuse. And it's when you see the fear in their face, when, when they realize I have to, I have to put the big girl panties on and I have to make this. I have decision. to actually be the responsible party that I signed up for. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Dude, it's worse than trying to buy a car. Like you see this yes. fear. That's <laughs> like, that's a good, that's you're the one in charge. Example. And, but that's why I say it, right? Because they're on the spot. They know it's on them. The buck stops with you. You're the one in charge. This person is looking up to you saying, take control of me. And now you're saying, shit, I might have fucked something up. How do I tell my slave? How do I admit I might have fucked up? a mistake? Yeah. Right. And not only admit the mistake, but then potentially face the, the backlash of the slave looking up at you going, oh, you're a shit dominant. Yep. Because that's the fear. That's, that's it. That's the fear. It's not reality, but that's the fear. Whereas on the slave side, they're looking up at you going, I feel like something's wrong. You're not telling me what it is. Oh, God, I'm a shitty slave. Well, and it's it's part of the reason that, you know, and it's not that all ENM ethical non-monogamy styles are automatically more practiced because there's plenty of shitty people in that side, too. Like, it's not like. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like monogamy has a single-handed hold on shitty people. You know, <laughs> trust me on this. I've met enough of them. But if you are an ethically communicating poly person or relationship anarchy or whatever your particular E&M style might be, you know, bird in hand, etc. Mm -hmm. You've already had to learn how to have those discussions. Because you've had to, to have successful relationships in general in that particular framework. And that's, I think, the main reason that people who are actively, ethically ENM with any experience tend to find comfortable parallels they pick up with within BDSM, especially in a master-slave dynamic, where they find it, again, not universally, there's an ease to getting into the same tool set. Because it's one they're already familiar with if they've been actively practicing and it's part of their tool set now. Which, again, depends on your particular relationship style, but it's more common as opposed to the monogamal side of things. Monogamal? Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah right. Monogamal. <laughs> I like that. I, like, I've heard the term monogamish, and I just have a hard time with it in general, just personally. Not because there's anything invalid about it, it's just the the image that comes up is so weird and it doesn't fit with the definition that's used so i like monogamish only because i it allows for the gray area with everything that's not cheating yeah ends up happening but it's happening in a vanilla context i don't like monogamish when it comes to kink dynamics because i don't Agreed. think that that's accurate no and um, it makes it harder actually <laughs> No, it does, but it but it does still crack me up. Like I, I think monogamish is actually witty, but 
Oh, for sure. Um, you know, because I I've described myself as that throughout my life on occasion, depending on like what's happening. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's real. Well, no, it absolutely but, is because you're dabbling in the concept without it being how your relationship opens, so to speak. And there there's more to it, obviously, but yeah. it's effectively brushing yeah, that, all of that shell on the edge mm -hmm. between the two. And it's like we're playing on this side of it as opposed to people playing on the other side of it where you know, anyone playing with a nesting partner or something similar is effectively the other side to that. We're on the mm -hmm. ENM side of things, but they're brushing the edge of monogamy. You know, there's there's parallels for both all across the board. It's, you know, and you don't get me wrong. I have met straight heteronormative, you know, uh, monogamish people who are absolutely comfortable with these conversations. Because it was something they already had a desire for, for things to go well. Mm -hmm. And that's valid as shit. I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where it's hard. It's easy to see it before and after. It's hard to see when you're in it. Especially if things are not going well. When things are going well, I think you can see it. And yep. Now, the other the other thing that makes it hard is especially if you are engaging with the community and you're engaging in public kink, you're going to get affirmations from people around you because they don't know the whole situation. They don't see things for the way that they actually are because they're not privy to everything. And those affirmations you get from the community are actually reinforcing negative behavior. That's a tough one for a lot of folks to understand. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, because prime example, like on the outside, what you'll see is a master slave walking into a room, having a lovely scene where the slave is absolutely on point. Their performance is flawless. The scene is hot. They have a sexy time. And afterwards, everybody's doing, you know, the high five to the to the master. Hey, that was a great scene. You, how you guys are hot. Like, oh, she's so beautiful. And, you know. You know, all the high fives are happening, right? Which stereotypically are supposed to make both of you feel amazing. Right. And I've seen, like, I've but. seen professional house performances that will evoke that kind of level of things in everyone 100%. witnessing it. It's kind of why they do what they do. Right. And then talk to the two people that were involved in it and they're like, that was fucking garbage. I hate this whole thing. Take my collar back. And you're like, whoa, what happened? Like every what everybody else saw was this beautiful, amazing thing. And you talk to the slave and they're like, I was on autopilot because I hated it so much. Yeah. Or you hear from the master, I could tell she was just going through the motions because she was trying to humor me. Or even I know she percent. hated everything that we did. <laughs> right. So it's like I mean, that's well, that's the shitty part where the community's affirming bad behavior yeah making it seem socially acceptable but it's now a barrier to communication because all right so everybody said you had a great night so maybe we had a great night well and it they'll walk away the from that and not too. address it i have absolutely seen that on the dom side where i've had friends of mine who very much would comp not complain but they would voice the fact that they were frustrated because and it had been like six months of them going through the motions because they didn't yeah. want to hurt the other person. Mm -hmm. 
it it happens and it's just as bad. Mm-hmm. And you do find that more commonly in heteronormative environments, but it happens with yep. anybody. And it absolutely yeah. can. I I would agree it's more heteronormative. And that's why I used the the example I did cuz that's the one I've experienced. Yeah. Um but but I will say like in the femdom space the way that that plays out especially you know, with me having male submissives right more often than not um the way it'll play out is the man saying i'm not even going to broach this topic with her because i just need to suck it up you know, you have you have the men that are like either i'm so excited that i still have a dominant willing to touch me they they just keep letting it slide and they're not going to address it because they're like well whatever i'm i'm still owned that's what i cared about or you have the the flip side of it where the guy's just like, no, this isn't perfect. I know this isn't what I want, but I at least have a dominant, so I'm going to keep rolling with it. That's like, should have had a check-in. <laughs> that's when you should have a check-in, not when it gets oh, to absolutely. that degree. absolutely. Well, and that's why I said in the first place about if you are new to BDSM, especially if you're on the more monogamous side of things, but for any of them, to be fair. A monthly check-in is almost a requirement when it's an existing relationship, whatever format it might be, as opposed to two people meeting each other after they've become kinky, so to speak. It does make a difference because there's a different layer of what can be lost right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it goes, you know, the stakes get higher if you have children, if you're married, if... if you live together, all of those play a factor in how tied up you are with each other, whichever side of things you came from at first. So it's so important to be able to have those conversations regularly and say, hey, listen, where are we or how are we? Are you okay? Are you happy? Am I happy? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I agree. I mean, uh, sure, like nobody's a mind reader. Yep, exactly. No, mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be expected to be. I mean, and I know there's jokes about that, of course, and all of that, but the reality is you will never know what the other person's thinking if you don't communicate. You know, you see couples that are so highly successful with each other who seem like they read each other's mind, and it's not that they do, it's that they've become so comfortable with communicating well. Mm-hmm that they don't need it to always be verbal. It's not a psychic connection. It's that they've reached a level of communication that is healthy. Well, and that's why I'm as straightforward as I am. Like a lot of people are like, God, you're so blunt. Like it's painful. And I'm like, right. But do you ever question where I sit on something? You know, as, as blunt now, could I probably temper that and not be so shitty at times? Absolutely. But the reality is, ask and ye shall receive. Yes. Now, if you ask me a question, I'm going to give you a genuine, honest answer because I respect the fact that you asked me a question and I have to assume it's coming from a genuine place. Otherwise, why did you ask me? Right. But the other part of it is, if you're coming to me with a genuine, legitimate question, I do feel like I owe you to meet you at equal footing in the spirit that you're asking. So I need to be honest with you. And 
reason why I'm blunt is I've learned the hard way. When you try to soften a message with some folks, the message gets completely lost. And so if I'm blunt and you pick up on it and decide it's hostile, I can't help how you interpret it, but you at least know what my message was. And I found that if, especially in communicating with men, <laughs> seems to be the one I have the hardest time with. Um, when I'm communicating with men and I'm like, hey, listen, this isn't working. We need to readdress this. You almost take like a professional tone with it and professional language and get kind of corporate. Dudes go, we're good, right? And you're like, yeah, we're good, but we need to fix this little part. And they're like, yeah, cool. So you work on that, but we're good, right? And it's like, no, this is this is where you work on it too. And then it's, but if I had changed the message and been like, so here's what's not working. I need you to not behavior X, Y, Z. Moving forward, you're not going to do it. We're going to do it this way instead. Have that inherent moment of, as you see it on their face, I don't care how slavey they are, how submissive they are, you always get that look of, bitch. Address it. You say, now, now that you've gotten past the fact that I'm kind of being bitchy, you understand what I've asked of you. And they almost always right. will say, yes. And it's like, that's why I'm being blunt with you. That's why I'm being direct. You have no question. I'm asking of you what my expectations of you are. Here's what you're going to do moving ahead. And if you decide that you're not going to do those things, understand that I too have an equal opposite reaction to that. Yeah. But if you start getting flowery with your language and you start kind of hemming and hawing about it, yeah, they leave the that conversation not knowing where they stand. And so then it becomes, why did we talk? You know, and I find like those conversations get so freaking awkward because, you know, you've been talking for two hours and then the person walks away and they're like, I still don't understand what she wanted me to do. So I'm going to be blunt. I'm going to be direct. And it may come across hostile, might actually come across bitchy. And that's OK. No. Well, and that's why if you need to, you, you stop the reaction, whatever it may be, if it's negative, you know, step back, come back at it in five minutes or whatever's needed for everybody's heads to be cool. Because sometimes it's just that the conversation needs to be had and there was just a reaction based on the conversation at all. And that happens. People react differently to different kinds of conversation. And the idea of a need for a disagreement of any kind can immediately trigger people into the equivalent of flight or fight because they don't know what to expect. And some people just mm -hmm. don't handle that well. It goes back to the same concept of some people do surprises, some don't. It's the same idea. Well, and I also hate the fact that people approach a lot of these conversations, especially with simple check-ins, with the, the doomsday prophecy, right? Like by asking for a check-in, I'm signaling we're doomed. And it's right. not actually the case. There's an immediate insecurity hit of, mm -hmm. oh, God, something's failing, or I might fail, or this mm -hmm. might break up. It's not all You're breaking up with me. Yeah. That's an inherent, immediate thought for some people, and that's the first thing you need to knee-jerk on. Listen, this isn't a conversation about earth-shattering relationship news. <laughs> We're not there. Right. Yeah. If I was breaking up with you, I would have started the conversation with, hey, listen, we need to sit down and talk because 
this is no longer working for me. I'm going to yeah. be upfront with that. If it's a check-in where I just need to maybe renegotiate some terms, I'm going to say, hey, listen, I want to have a check-in with you because there's some things I want to tinker with. Yes, absolutely. Be- because my thing is this, why? And, and and I do blame masters and dominance for this. Why would you initiate a conversation like that and not be genuine? That completely flies in the face of everything that we're doing. Well, and, and you know, means- going back to wanting to touch each other, is that person going to still want to interact with you and play with you and want you to touch them if they don't feel like you're being genuine? Well, the answer is no. And that goes back to the step up, too, about at the end of the mm-hmm. day, there's a different layer of trust inherent to these kinds of relationships because of the things we do at the physical level. Because you have to have this level of trust no matter what because of the risks inherently involved. So if that trust feels like it's on a wave or broken, that's it. Like you, you can't take that back. It will make it that much harder to work back to a place where you even have that dichotomy. And some people well, and I like through it and some can't, but it's harsh if you don't. And they, it. and some people go faster through it. That's yes. the other part. Some people Absolutely. progress a lot faster through it. And so it's it's actually okay because they can progress through it and you know, it's fine. But I like one of the comments in the chat right now. I really like this comment. It's not just relationships anymore. It's how no. people are behaving nowadays. And it's true yes. because there is a need to show not just how you're feeling to get validation on the show of feeling. Yes. And then if there's any kind of a disagreement or anything slightly contradictory, it's seen as being a problem and automatically being negative. That is so freaking true. Oh, yeah. It's so, so freaking true. It is absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I'm saying that oftentimes for me personally, my bluntness and my directness is misread as hostility. Because to persons that are anxious, it is challenging. It is hostile because I'm triggering. It's like, no, I'm just a blunt communicator. No, absolutely. And at the end of the day, that's the other side of that, too, is if you don't, (laughs) if you can't approach it with that level of civility, of being able to be brutal with each other, you know, and I don't mean brutal in a savage way. It just needs to be importantly in straight. You can't dick around about it. You can't beat it and make it sound pretty. You don't fake it. You can't. Because the moment you do, the entire dynamic is shot. And some people can weather through that and weather the storm and build a new building block from that. And there's a lot of people that can't. And that is understandable with the things that we do. Some people are not hotwired to roll with the punches that way when they no longer feel safe. You know, and... This isn't going to be a conversation that everybody is going to love hearing, even with the things we've said already. And that's okay, because they still need to be said. You know, we're not. Yeah, we are biased in a variety of ways for different things, but there is a societal need to talk about the reality of how things are these days and how that affects you entering a power exchange. That's just facts, because it does dictate how that's handled a lot more than you used to. 
Not just power exchange, though, specific to MS, because I find with yes. other power exchanges, it's different. There's oh, something no, unique that happens in MS that that becomes the reality. It's not reality of other dynamics. And I'll use I'll use DS and top bottom as a prime example. When you're just scene based play partners. You will be feeling these kinds of things, but it's on a much different scale. Yes, absolutely. It's you know, and I, and I think that's where a lot of the misperception of dedication comes in. You start thinking, oh, well, they're not as dedicated because they're feeling it on a smaller scale. And it's like, no, they're feeling it on a smaller scale because there's there's not as much of a constant engagement and there's not yeah. as much of a constant level of understanding and appreciation happening because a lot of your, your scene-based interactions are more friendships. They become deep friendships. Yes. They're not the same as somebody that you've integrated into your life. Like you would in an MS. Because in no. my opinion, that's kind of the difference, right? DS and MS, these are folks that you've integrated into your life. Yes. Stereotypically exactly. on a daily basis. You know, top, bottom, and, and other identifiers that we use, it may be equally permanent. They're not as equally prescient, in my opinion. That may just be how I form my own attachments, right? Because I'm sure I've got some disorder somewhere in there. But all the isms. Now, we all have them. the isms. <laughs> I've got so many isms. So when I yep. look at my MS arrangement specifically, when I've negotiated an MS dynamic, is these are people that I've said that I I don't ever want to leave my presence. Yes, I don't. Exactly. I don't ever use MS with anyone. I want to break up with or that I see exactly. only being a comet or somebody that I only plan on being around for like a year or so. There is a DS at best. Right. Well, that's even with the way I used to treat them, like, you know, I approached on earlier on the, on this, you know, in the old tradition, so to speak, that we used to adopt through where it was a year and a day before you went from talking about a DS to an MS, because that was just the way it was done. It wasn't because that's an automatic thing. It was that the level of dedication was such that it was worth waiting that long to have that conversation. And if that's where you want that relationship to grow to, you do. And if you don't, even if you still plan to be married or whatever else, you have that conversation where you've had time to get to know one another and are mm -hmm. prepared to say, I am in this for the long haul. I am in this right. forever. And so I think this is worth it for us, the level of depth involved, the intimacy involved. Mm -hmm. And there's some people where that's just not what they're into or interested in, but they still want to be married and have children and have a family and still do the rest. Mm -hmm. And those are equally valid viewpoints. And that's kind of the whole point of having that conversation in the first place is being able to have that. Well, we're not like that. We're like this, especially if you're talking about master slave. I don't care if you did start with Fifty Shades, God help you. If that's what your introduction was and it's a little skewed, we're going to be able to unskew it, especially if you've had a functional adult you know, life long enough to have already paid attention to that. That's not how it works. Hmm. I agree. You know. And I think that's what, but I think that right there, what you just said, is the part that people forget. I, I think people actively forget that. Either that or they ignore it. It Probably may be more it. like an Probably ignorance both. thing. 
I'd love to pretend that just because we're kinky, we're automatically inherently all hyper-intelligent. But the reality is kink is kink. And while, yes, there is a huge assortment of us, you know, neuro, you know, atypical, ethical, you know, poly or similar atypical, geeky, etc., mm-hmm. whatever your particulars, we're not the only ones. Just because there's a large percentage of us that are kinky. There's plenty of pseudo-normative people who still want kink. Mm-hmm. They're not automatically the smartest people on the block. And I'm not saying that is everybody's stupid. Because that's, <laughs> you know, but to be fair, yes, the majority of human beings these days are a bit stupid. And that's not mm-hmm. shitting on any one group of anything. It's the nature of society right now where they'd rather not be as educated. For whatever reason, they've chosen ignorance. And there's nothing you can do about that other than not be one. And try to remember that you have to kind of keep that filter if you want healthy, long-lived relationships. Mm-hmm. Especially with the level of dedication you're talking about with someone being a master and a slave. Yeah. Because you're not talking about something that you want to end if things go sour. You want to be able to have that conversation and keep going. You want that intimacy to never cease. You know, you want that sexual charge to last forever, so to speak. Or go into the other side of that again, you know, wanting to permanently touch your junk, as it were. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I want to touch it more than once. I want to touch it all the things, all the times, and not have to worry about it. And you get to do the same, you know, Hmm? or whatever your particular format, even with that. But that's your business at that point, you know. But the premise is the same. So if that's the feeling you have with this person, why would you not do everything in your power to make sure you're always on the same page? Even if that same page requires a healthy, disagreeable discussion. Because you're allowed to have differing opinions. That's kind of why you have them in the first place. Everyone's got opinions. Sometimes they suck. And sometimes they're not always in perfect agreement. That's why you talk about it. So even if it's something you don't agree with, you can at least either say, but I'm okay with that, or the other person can say, you know what, I might not be right. And move on. And that absolutely matters. Because why would you not want it to work at the most efficiency you possibly can? It's usually the goal. Kind of defeats the purpose not to. At least to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know. Life. Pick a feature. Um, but no, especially in the case of Master and Slave, where I can't imagine not wanting to put the work in. For that to work the way it should. I can't imagine mm-hmm. not having those conversations and saying, hey, listen, we need to talk one way or the other because this isn't working the way we think it should or I'm feeling some kind of way about it or I see that you're feeling some kind of way about it. Let's talk it out. Yeah. It's just the need because wouldn't you want it to always be pleasant? I mean, yeah, obviously it's real life. Nothing is ever perfect 100% of the time. That's not the point. (laughs) 
<laughs> Real life will let you do that shit for long before kicking it at least once or twice. I, it's just reality. But you try to find a way to kick you right in more than mm -hmm. one direction. Mm -hmm. So why would you not seek to be at the top of your game, so to speak, to live as happily as you can with this other person or persons, depending on your structure? Because both are equally the same that way. I figure you owe it to yourself, because otherwise, why do it? Exactly. I mean, why are you going to go through all that extra effort if you're not actually happy? <laughs> what does that solve? Nothing. It doesn't it's help gross. anyone. Exactly. And you're both selling yourselves short. You're doing yourselves a disservice, because if you're not happy, then why the fuck are you bothering? Mm hmm. You're not getting anything out of it, and the other person sooner or later won't either. And if they are, it's obviously unhealthy in a whole different direction anyway. No, and we want everyone to be kinky and happy. Well, fuck What's yeah. What's the point? It's far more fun that way. <laughs> well, that sounds like that's a good point to... <laughs> no, it is. It is. So that sounds like we're at a natural point for wrapping up. Yes. Um... Obviously, that's only one side of things. I definitely want to get into the structural side of perspective as well, because this was definitely a need. Because, again, mm -hmm. master-slave dynamics, we're all very inherently feel some kind of way about. There was a need to express all the details so people truly have an understanding of why it's important to look at all the things. Mm -hmm. But I definitely also want to get into the meat of how it actually looks as well. Yeah. So. Stay tuned for those that are listening for a part two. We're, we're <laughs> Whether you I like it or not. keep doing that. Well, because we have part to two. cover more than one aspect of that. Like, we can just do the mechanics of this looks X, Y, Z. <laughs> but the reality is people still talk, feel, emote, attach, detach. And there's so many different things that are affecting that. You can't not talk about it. Not give a proper mm -hmm. rounded you know, well-rounded information dump, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> so, but no, definitely stay tuned for a part two. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Hmm. But thank everybody who's here today in the live studio for coming and listening. As always, we love seeing you guys out here and talking and holding conversation. That's kind of half the fun. Um, Thank everybody who isn't here now. <laughs> Obviously, mm -hmm. anyone listening on Spotify, you know, Google Podcasts, Apple Pocket, whatever your particular listening streaming service fell onto Chrome, whatever I, that you're <laughs> listening from. Thank you as well, because that is literally why we're doing this. I don't care mm -hmm. where you are. Final thoughts with Jack Candy. <laughs> I, I think I, I covered everything that I wanted to hit, so I'm happy. Definitely. Well, then, I'll go back to the old standard. You know, if you can't find me on the internet, you're clearly not looking. Because <laughs> I'm plastered all over the place, even if I didn't want to be at this point. Because I've been, you know, the same ideal person for, you know. But... Whether it's the FETs, the emails, the whatever, if you can't find me, for God's sakes, try harder. <laughs> and I wish I didn't have to say that, but it's just true. 
<laughs> it is true. They are so easy to find. Well, because I made it that way. I, I'm comfortable mm. with that. And I realize that not all kingsters have that ability. And I totally respect that. But I do have that option, so... Tiny taking it to the nth degree. I found where you live. You didn't find it. Syria told you. That's different. Uh, <laughs> Cheating. Yeah, the basically. slave network. Damn it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but no, I think that's everything unless you have anything else to add. I think we're good. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming. Uh, thank those that are listening later. And have a wonderful rest of y'all's day.